Welcome to the Living Word, the radio broadcast ministry of Living Word Church that meets in London. As you've heard, my name is Sarah Jala Emanuel. I'm the minister of Living Word Church. In chapter 17 of the book of Jeremiah, from verse 5 to 10, the Bible says, This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to be a fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Now that's an amazing, amazing word of God and from God. And um, it is so daunting when we consider the number of uh, believers in the world who are not reaping the benefits of righteousness in accordance with the word of God. And so we have a situation here where people are dissatisfied and they're unhappy and they're unfulfilled. You know, they're not prosperous. They're not successful in anything. Their Christian life, they're finding it uh, is frustrating. And this should not be so because uh, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God promises a wonderful, wonderful life in uh, for the believer. Not just here, but also we have abundant life, which is eternal life as well. And while we're here, God has said he will provide for our needs. He will watch over us. He will take care of us. He will give us our heart's desires. He will rescue us in times of trouble. So when we have a situation where a person is not witnessing this fullness of joy that comes from God, what is going on? What is wrong? I have met quite a few people in my capacity as a minister. I've met a lot of frustrated Christians who... Uh, sort of, uh, some of them have sort of given up on God and, um, you know, they broken faith with the fellowship of the church and things like that. People have stopped going to church to, to fellowship or to worship God because they think God simply is not acting on his word. But God is a sovereign God. He is the almighty and there is nothing too hard for him. He created you and I. He created the earth and its fullness. He created the highest heavens and the fullness therein. So is there anything that God cannot do? God's word is true to the letter. Every letter of God's word is perfect and is pure and is true. So where we find where is the problem? What is going on? And we just read in chapter 17 of Jeremiah here where God said, Cursed there's the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Further on, it says in verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, the only one who can indeed understand our hearts is God. And he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. So where we find that people are living unfulfilled life as Christians and not seeing the promises of God fulfilled in their lives, they're not getting any more than the average human being, the godless human being, the sinner, shall we say, gets. Because God gives sunshine, he gives sunshine to the sinner and saint alike. He gives rain, he gives a harvest, he gives us life for as long as we live here. He gives us a chance to repent. He gives even, you know, he gives us work. We are able to work. He gives us good health. You know, these are just standard things that he gives to everybody. 
He gives all those things to everybody. We have you know, so many godless people who are rich and wealthy, not to say necessarily that their wealth has come from God in more cases than, in, in more situations than, um, than not, the wealth has come from uh, ill gain and very funny ways that the godless would not dabble, uh, that the God-fearing man would not dabble in. But regardless of all that, we have a situation here where a person who is a Christian is not getting any more than the heaven are getting. So what is wrong? Now, God's gift, the rewards of righteousness, are not just contained in material things. They're not necessarily contained in material things as, as, as a matter of fact, because when we are indeed as righteous and holy as God wants us to be, we will have no regard for material things. Not to say that we will not have nice things, but they mean nothing to us. To us, they're just things to be used. They're things we don't hold on to us to dear life, which is what the average human being does. You know, these things mean a lot to them. A big, good house means a lot to them. A great, big, uh, latest car means a lot to them. A career and a title in the world and you know personal ambition and all these things mean the world to them but it is not so for the believer now the situation here is what God gives the words of righteousness are peace joy and hope and it is and, and love and these are gifts that come only from God they are rewards that come only from God. Nothing in the world can bestow peace upon anyone. As a matter of fact, if anything, the world is getting more tumultuous by the day. There's so much turmoil and fear and anxiety everywhere. So you can forget about getting peace out of the world. You cannot get joy out of the world because it is a gift of God. You can get temporary happy uh, things that make you happy, but only temporary because it's always fleeting. Happiness is usually fleeting, you know, because you get something now, uh, maybe you get a pay rise, you're very happy for that moment. Give yourself for another six months you're fed up you've gotten used to having that pay rise that you're craving more you know you you meet a new person you fall in love with a person you think you're happy you believe you're happy you may well be happy only until that person begins to misbehave or they begin to cheat on you or the or they begin to show their true colors and they're violent or something then that happiness you know dies out so you see things of the world uh, and circumstances in the world can only give us temporary happiness but joy comes from the lord joy is from within it comes right from the bottom of your heart and your stomach and it is um, it, it's a feeling you have a feeling of of sheer bliss and confidence in god and peace that you know that no matter what circumstance surround you no matter what uh, situations prevail in your life you just know that you are one with God and it is wonderful and such a comforting feeling. You know, so that the world cannot give you. The world cannot give you love because I tell you, only the love of God is unconditional. Only the love of God is. We had a debate yesterday, we had a talk yesterday on, on, on the radio station about uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. And uh, we've, uh, we discovered from there that a lot of people are struggling with this. You know, I find it very impossible to do it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we said, your neighbor is everybody else in the world. So you see, you cannot really get love out of the world either. Because, you know, when people, some people may love you, some people won't, some people will love you conditionally, only as long as you play to their tune uh, or, or dance to their music. The minute you stop doing that or express your own personal feeling or opinion, the problem, you know, the love, you know, sort of wears thin. So you see, and of course, the world cannot give you hope because there's nothing the world has got on offer. Everything in the world has come from God. I cannot give you hope. I cannot promise you eternity because my life itself is in this world is going to come to an end. It's mortal. You know, so I can't give you hope. 
But the hope we have comes from the word of God, from the truth of God. So you see, there is nothing the world can offer. So the rewards of righteousness only come from God. And as I said, their hope, peace, love, and joy. So where you find that these things are missing in your life, where is the problem? But we see here that there are two sides to the argument because the Bible says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. But then on the other hand, in verse 7 of Jeremiah 17, it says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And it says, Such a person will know prosperity, will be prosperous in all that they do. There will be like a tree planted by streams of water, you know, that always bears fruit in its season and its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. We're talking about having worries in a year of drought. That means you have no anxiety in a world of turmoil and, and pain. Now, there's so much anxiety in the world at the moment, so much fear. Every day we've been terrorized by people who think that uh, killing us is a service to God. The Bible does say that the time will come that the people who kill us will think they're doing a service to God. We are in those days. So the sooner we all start um, understanding the word of God and embracing the word of God, the sooner we will have peace and the comfort and the confidence we need in God. Now, this is what I want to talk about today is confidence in God. Because when we have to trust in man or our own strength or in any worldly circumstance or situation, for our strength or for our deliverance or for prosperity or for happiness, we will find that we will fail because there's nothing the world can give to us. Everything in this world, every human being included, are only here for a fleeting moment. We're all going to pass away from this world. This world, as we know it, is going to pass away and it's fast heading for that now. It's self-destructing already. And uh, God does say to, he has promised us that he is going to destroy this world as it is. So you see, if we think we're living in fear at the moment of the terrorists and all sorts of attacks that we're facing, that's nothing, nothing, it's nothing compared to the wrath of God that is going to come upon this earth because of the, uh, of, of the sinfulness and the rebellion of man. God does not hide it. He's not pretending to be so nice, such a nice guy that he's going to tell you that he will lie to us, that he's not going to destroy it. He has told us very clearly how he's going to bring this world to an end. And so what we're witnessing now, all the bomb threats, all the wars and earthquakes and famines and things and floodings, they are nothing. All the panic about climate, uh, climate changes, all conferences everywhere, you know, concerts and all the awareness. We've been charged for everything now. You get charged for your dustbin get charged for not recycling, you're getting charged for using too much water. All this is futile. It is futile. You know why it's futile? Because as long as we want to take God, the God of the earth and the heavens, the God who created all things, the God under whose jurisdiction alone, the sun, the moon, the stars, the winds, the rains, the earth, everything is. Everything is under the climate that we're worrying about and panicking about. It's all under the control of God. And as long as we want to take God out of that equation and think we can do it ourselves, we fool ourselves and we will do nothing but self-destruct. However, those who know their God, God says we should do great exploits. So we have the confidence in God. And this is what the issue is. How confident are you in God? How much confidence do you have in God? I am not disturbed by the present crisis of the, in the world. I'm not. I'm happy to leave the world today, tomorrow, any second, anytime the Lord desires. 
It will be such a thing of joy for me, such a glory, such a victory for me to actually be in the presence of God, to meet my Savior, Jesus Christ, who laid his life for me, who has given me access into the presence of God, to live with God eternally. It will be a great joy for me. It's a great victory the day I leave this world. And it doesn't matter to me when. It really does not matter. That is how much confidence I have in my God. I believe his word because his word is truth. So where we find in a lot of situations, whatever situation is surrounding you, whatever situation you're going through, unless your confidence is fully based on God, and I mean undwindling confidence, solid, solid as a rock, unless you have that confidence of knowing that God is watching, God is aware of my circumstance, God knows about me, he knows me by name, he calls me by name, he knows what I'm going through, he sees it all, and he will do what is best in his eyes not in your eyes. There's nothing to stop you from praying to God what your desire is. But at the end of your prayer, you must always understand that God's will must be done. His will is always best. I may think I know what's best for me because I look at my circumstance and I look at myself and think I know what my preferences are. I know what I'd rather be uh, experiencing. But God knows best what is best for me. And you see that, in fact, situations of... Um, disadvantage to us are for us to be taken as opportunities for advantage, for us to be able to prove the power and the love of God to a dying world. But when we shake in the face of adversity, we are not giving God a chance to display his splendor and glory and power through us. And God wouldn't use such a person. I mean, James made that very clear in chapter 1 of James from verse 6 to 7. He says, a double-minded person should not expect to receive anything from God because he is unstable in his ways. He's tossed back and forth. And this is where people want to put confidence in men. You want to put confidence. I mean, people who say they've broken faith with the church because their pastor disappointed them. They're disappointed in their pastor. Their, their overseer did something or the other. What is your business putting your confidence in any servant of God anyway? The Bible doesn't teach us to. As a servant of God, my duty is to point you toward the Savior, towards the sovereign God, not towards me. I'm only, not, I'm only a carnal man redeemed by grace like you. So there's nothing extraordinary about me. Why would you want to put your confidence in me anyway? And so I do something, you know, the, my flesh fills, or I stumble at some point, and you think, oh, well, that's it. I mean, if evangelist Sarah Jalai Manu could stumble, that's that. I no longer believe in the church. That is foolishness. I did not establish the church. I did not, hang, I did not die on the cross for you. Jesus did. And so your liaison should be with the Savior and him alone. Your trust must be in Jesus alone and on the strength of God. Only God is perfect. Jesus was the only perfect man who ever lived on earth and who is, will ever live on earth. We're never going to get another perfect person like Christ Jesus. All of us are fallen, raised by grace, redeemed by grace, saved by grace. That's who we are. So you see, if you're placing your trust in a man, and so you say they let you down, they disappoint you, and because of that, it's turned you into an ungodly, unrighteous person. You need to backtrace. You need to step back, retrace your steps back to the only one in whom you should put your trust. The confidence we're supposed to have in God is so must be so solid. I'll use as a case study some people in the Bible. The Bible is full of illustrations of people whose confidence were, were embedded in God and in God alone, in God's strength, in God's deliverance, in God's decision making. And you know what? They all succeeded. 
the Bible records their success in, the, in life. I'm not saying they all became rich and wealthy or anything of the sort. No, some of them did. But the fact is, success is how well you walked with God until your dying day. That is what is going to account for your success in this world. Because if after achieving everything in the world, all the splendor, all the achievements, all the attainments, all the success, prosperity, finances, everything, titles even people make, you know, they make uh, monuments in your name and all those things, build names, name streets or whatever after you. If after all that, if after all that, you do not have a place with God, you do not finish your race in this world with God, you're, you're a failure. You failed because of what uses it. If after everything, you end up in hell. And hell is a reality. It is a reality for the enemies of God. It was never prepared for man, but men can choose. Men do choose to go that way. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. God, for us, wants us to live with him. We are, he wants us to be his children, to live with him, walk with him. Once again, he wants to walk amongst us as our God. And our father and we be his children so you see we have a choice so the, what amounts to success is how well you walked with God until your dying day until the day you leave this world now we look in uh, first we, we consider Daniel uh, in, in the lion's den in the uh, Daniel was a servant of God he loved God he loved God so much he worshiped God only now he was living in, in, in a land in, in Babylon in a land where idolatry was the infant, they did not know the sovereign God. They did not know the almighty God in that land. So they had all kinds of idols they worshipped. And Daniel was prosperous because God's grace was upon his life. God's favor was mightily upon him. And so he was raised, he was a very high official in the king's palace. The king was so favored towards him because God made it so. Now, all the other officials, of the other king's officials were jealous of Daniel. They couldn't stand him. They hated him because, of his, because he was highly favored by the king. So they did something. They went to the king and suggested to the, to the king you know, to um, write an edict whereby any, anyone, anyone who prays to any god or man over a period of 30 days except to the king will be thrown into the lion's den. Now they knew full well that Daniel prayed to the mighty god. They knew that. And that's why they went and spoke to the king about that, suggested that to the king. And so the king wrote the edict. Now, an edict, when it's written, cannot be, re cannot be repealed. You know, it's, it's law. It cannot be changed. It's got, it must be fully, you know, obeyed and carried out. Whatever threat is, um, uh, is involved in it must be fully carried out. So they did that. They plotted it. And then the king agreed. He thought that was a good idea. I mean, you know how people like to be idol uh, idolized? So the king did agree to that, and so they wrote that edict, and they passed the edict right through the land. And Daniel heard about it in chapter 6 of Daniel, from verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to, to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, and asked God for... Uh, found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or, or man except to you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. 
Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, prays no, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Now they went and reported Daniel. They knew they were watching out for him. It was a scheme. It was a plot to destroy him. And so on. it had to happen that way, that the edict had to be carried out. Daniel had to get thrown into the lion's den. And the king, you know, the king, he was, he was aggrieved about this because the king was really fond of Daniel. In verse 16, he says, So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And what happened? Indeed, it happened. God shot the mouth of the lions and they did not harm him. They did not harm him because his confidence was in God. He did not for fear of death, deny his God. And this is what happened in verse 19 there. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shot the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Therein was Daniel's victory. He trusted in God. He fully trusted in God. In the face of all intimidation, Daniel did not. He did not waver in his confidence in God. And indeed, his God, whom he continually served, saved him. And he was able, Daniel, through that display of confidence in God, brought glory to God. And this is what your life and my life is supposed to be. We are supposed to bring glory to God. And see what happened. Then the king, King Darius, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You see? Amazing, isn't it? That in a land of idolaters, Daniel, this one man, was able to, to bring glory to the one eternal living God. How much glory do you bring to God in times of trouble, in times of trial, in times of difficulty? What is your reaction like when you face adversities? Whatever it is you're facing, a broken marriage, disobedient or rebellious children, a uh, 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 sack from work or something or lack of promotion or something or hunger or whatever circumstance or in the face of sickness how do you show you display your confidence in God how confident are you the bible said we read in Jeremiah it says the heart is deceitful above all things who can cure it because it's one thing when we all show an outward appearance of holiness and godliness and uh, you know and, and confidence in God but our heart determines exactly where we stand with God and that's why God said I the Lord examine the heart I examine the heart to reward each person according to what his deeds deserve. So you see, our outward lives, what people see in our lives, is a reward of where we stand with God. Oh yes, because you see God, whatever we do in secret, Jesus said God will repay us in the open. If you are fully confident in God in your heart, God prospers your life. 
and I don't just mean materially, oh, I emphasize that, but the joy, the peace, the love, the hope that you have, everybody will see it. It will be seen. Your peaceful disposition will be seen. Your beautiful, your, the joy in you will be seen. You radiate, you glow when you're filled with God's joy and love in you. You just shine through everything. There are no lines of worry on your forehead. You don't panic. You're not full of anxiety. Everybody will notice. Believe me, people will notice. But if in the face of adversity, in the face of difficulty, all you do is mutter blasphemous words to God or shake and shiver, thinking God may not be aware or may not be able to save you, how then do you want the peoples around you who have not known God to know him? You are not letting yourself be an instrument of glory in the hands of God. I'll take another example, still from the book of Daniel. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 of Daniel. Now, they also were people highly favored by God because they worshipped the one eternal God. They loved God and they worshipped God, even though they also were in, this, in a foreign land. They'd been taken there in exile in the, into Babylon. So also, again, the situation arose where the people were, other officials in the courts of the king were jealous of them. Just like, you know, so they plotted against them. Very similar story to that of uh, Daniel in the lion's den. And what happened here was, this time around, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he made a great big image of gold and he ordered everyone to bow down. That whenever they had the sound of all kinds of musical instruments, everyone was to bow down and worship this image of gold that he had made. But uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to because they were not idolaters. They were servants of the Most High God. And so they refused to do it. And the other officials very quickly ran to the king and said, oh, well, what did you not say? See, these guys pay no attention to you. They don't do it. They, they don't pay. They don't do it. They pay no attention to you, O king. They don't serve your gods. They don't worship you, the image of gold you have set up. Now, from verse 13 of chapter 3 of Daniel, it says, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Amazing, isn't it? Such blasphemy. But let us look at their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is astonishing confidence in God. He said, Our God is able to, he's more than able to save us from this blazing furnace you're threatening us with. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we'll still stand by him. What his decision will be best if he does not let God do what is best in his eyes. But we will not bow down to your gods or worship your images. It's not going to be done, king. We are servants of the one eternal God and we will remain his servants even in the face of death. 
And that was exactly what happened. The king was furious, had them thrown. They heated the fire up. The Bible says they heated it up even up to three times more than normal or seven, you know, seven times more than normal. The thing was so hot. And they threw, the, they threw this man inside the fire. They heated it seven times hotter than usual and threw them inside this blazing furnace. But what happened? God sent his angel and they were delivered. They did not burn. Nothing happened to them. So much so that they brought glory to God. Because again, we have a situation here because they did not, but nothing happened to them. Everybody was astonished and astounded. The, 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 the king Nebuchadnezzar was shocked. He'd never seen anything like it. So again, he says in verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be, be cut into pieces and their houses be burnt into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, isn't that awesome? They brought God glory in the face of death. They brought God glory in the face of adversity. This is how it must be with you and I. We're not to shy away. We should show comfort. We should have confidence, not just show it, but have it fully in our hearts. These men had made up their minds that that was it. Their confidence was going to be in, in God. And their confidence was solidly grounded in God. And so it didn't matter what happened to them. They were willing to die for their confidence in God. And we have servants also in the New Testament. Paul the Apostle was able to say, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He says, No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must be able to say this. You must be able to live by that. Because therein alone lies a deliverance. Have confidence in God. Do not trust in man, because such a person who trusts in man and flesh will be doomed. They're cursed. Trust in God. And in parting, I'll read to you from Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. He says here, a word of encouragement from the word of God. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. You will be saved. Have your confidence in God. Fully trust in him because he alone is able to save you. Nobody can. No powers can. Only God can. If you do not belong to Christ Jesus, if you're not a Christian, you have no confidence, you have no hope. You can have no joy and no peace. You cannot experience the love of God unless you really come to him. Then you can have that confidence in God. And believe me, in the face of that confidence, nothing will disturb you. Your life can only be prosperous. My name is Sarah Jalai Manu, and I'm the minister of Living Word Church. We meet 10 a.m. to 12 noon every Sunday at St. Luke's Centre, Roscoe Street, off White Cross Street, London EC1. That's the Old Street Barbican area of London. You'll be more than welcome to fellowship with us. 
And our church website is livingwordchurch.co.uk. You can reach me by email on livingwordchurch at btinternet.com. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you.